You know, as I looked again at the video about uh, this precinct, if I can, that's the right word, is it, you're using? The the picture I got was of the golden age of Israel. And the golden age of Israel probably culminated in Solomon's leadership, where the temple was built and people from the nations would come to see the temple. They would come to see Solomon and hear of his wisdom. They would come and see the... uh, the riches. But the bottom line is this, people would come to Jerusalem to see what God had done. And you know, I just believe that you guys are already in the promised land. I'm sorry, this isn't yet the temple. You've already got your feet on the ground. There's more battles to be won, we understand that. But a time is coming where this precinct will be a place that people come to, to look at to see, to experience. Some of them will be simply for their own well-being. It could be on the medical side. They're simply come to to this precinct. But I just want you to understand when they experience the presence of God in this precinct, whether they come to to see a doctor, whether they come to, to learn something in a college or gain some education, God touches them and changes them. And, and, and you know, the picture I have is there is a golden age to come. And, and I want you to hold on to that so that, you, you know, this be a place that people come together, a place that people come to see what God has done and their lives will be touched and changed and transformed and I believe it'll be a model for other churches to follow. We all understand the church has got to change. It's not going to be the same in the next 10, 20 or 30 years. It's got to change and I believe this will be a model that others will look at and learn from and see but the ultimate goal is this, people to find Christ. Do you know buildings are helpful? It's, it's much better being inside today than outside, isn't it? Wouldn't want to be outside yesterday. That was, that was terrible. So buildings are important, but not as important as those who gather in them. And it's all about people. So I just want to encourage you. I believe God is doing something profound. And, and some of you will say, but we're not at the golden age yet. No, you're right. And um, it takes people to get to that place. It, t- it took people to build the temple. It took b- people to gather the resources. It took skilled people. It, you, you know, when the building was complete, the people were less important, unfortunately. But up until that time, everyone was required. Everyone's skill, everyone's attitude mattered. And, um, and I just want you to know, you're in probably the most important stage of what God is doing in this place, and, and I want to encourage you with that. Now, what I say today may seem in contrast to that. How many of you have ever given up? It's the same as this. No one wants to give up. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Giving up is a good thing, isn't it? When, 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 you're, when you're trying not to eat chocolate and finally you give up and you get to taste the chocolate, how good does that feel? When you're, when you're running and you're exercising and you get to the point, you, think, you know, I'm just going to stop. How good does it feel? Yeah. All this stuff about pushing through, it, it doesn't feel good. But giving up is a good thing, isn't it? I, I don't think anyone's convinced. Uh, I, I said it earlier, I'll say it again. You know, when, when our kids, we've got four daughters and how's this? We now have eight grandchildren. That's, which is exciting. Ruth doesn't look that old. I know I do. But, um, but of those eight grandchildren, seven are granddaughters. 
And so is it any wonder I look like I do, you know? Four daughters survived that and thought grandchildren, and then seven granddaughters, and they're all as feisty as our daughters were. So, oh boy. But as, um, as our girls were growing up, I used to chase them around the house. Ruth would be yelling at us to stop running. We're going to break something. I'd get them on the ground. Didn't matter what age they were. I de- even did it in their teenage years. And, and I would tickle them until they would give up, you know. And, and anyone who's been tickled knows there's nothing better than giving up when you're being tickled because tickling is its own form of torture, isn't it? Have you been tickled lately? Some of you need to be held on the ground and tickled, I think. It's, 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 it's funny watching someone laugh uncontrollably and you know what they're saying in their mind. Get off me, just leave me alone. Even now, you know, our girls, the eldest is nearly 35. And even now, from time to time, when the, all the girls come around with their husbands and the kids and that ends up, we do all sorts of silly things. And sometimes some of the older girls get on, stuck on the ground and we get all the grandkids to try and tickle them and, and, um, and they just want to give up. Leave me alone, leave me alone. But giving up is a normal part of life. And, you know, I think too often we mix it up. As a matter of fact, prayer is about giving up. You know, it's, it's not a surrender, it's a handing over. Well, you know, as to we're giving up. We, we know what giving is, don't we? And ultimately, if we're giving it up to God, we're handing it over to Him. And the one of the most powerful psychological benefits of prayer is actually handing over a burden that you have. Now, obviously, we're handing it to God in the hope that he will perform a sign, a wonder, a miracle. But there's also great benefit to you when you hand it up or give it up to God. And I want you to understand, you know, giving up is not necessarily always a bad thing. And, and, and I know there are times and places where you ought not to give up. But today, I want, to, I want to encourage you to give up some things because there is benefit to you in giving up. Now, if you're newly married... Uh, you've got a lesson to learn this morning, and that is you need to give up. Because unless you give up, you're going you're gonna to end, you're going to continue in a lifelong dispute. You know, when I first got married, I was strong on some things, and I had to learn to give up on some of those things. And, um, and, and the, the same is also true of my wife. Do you, do you know, if, if I can, I've got a little bit more time so I can tell you some stories, can't I? About socks, I reckon I've told this story before about socks, you know. I, I like my socks. My socks are not special, but they're my socks. And the thing I didn't understand when I was getting married was that somehow, some way, there'd be another person in the house who would wear my socks. <laughs> I didn't like that at all. I didn't like it at all. And, and, you know, I don't think we solved that until about probably at the 30-year mark of our marriage... <laughs> Because what would happen is I would catch someone wearing my socks, which it didn't matter that I had lots and lots. Of, it's, it was a personal thing. I just didn't like somebody else's feet in my socks. And, and I remember one time it came out at a marriage course we were running. We had this big argument about socks and all the people in the marriage course bought a socks each so we didn't have to fight about socks. And, and, and you know, I never gave up, but finally Ruth gave up wearing my socks. And it was like there was freedom and liberty and, um, and, uh, and, and, and every now and again I just check just to make sure. Socks are not that important, but there are, if you're married, you know, you need to, you need to give some things up in marriage. Why? So that there's harmony and peace and joy. 
Do you know, loving others is a process of giving up. Too often, despite the fact that we know we're supposed to love others, we place conditions on that love. And what we've got to do is give up some of those conditions if we're to truly be obedient to Christ. He loves us unconditionally, which is incomprehensible. But he also expects us to love others unconditionally, which is really, really difficult. And unless we give some things up, it's not likely to happen as it ought. You might think all I'm saying is, um, is contrary to what the Bible says. But let me read to you from Luke. Uh, somewhere here it's written, it's, it's gone, it's disappeared. Oh, there it is, Luke 14, 33. <laughs> it just disappeared from my mind. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. It doesn't matter which way you read that verse of scripture, it doesn't matter which translation you read, Jesus meant giving up. You've got to give up who you are and, and you know everything we own is not just our possessions, it's our mindset, it's our attitude, it's, it, it, it's our prestige, it's our pride. For us to truly become the disciples of Christ, we need to give up everything we own. And, and I want to challenge you today because as we get into the message, you'll find I'm going to ask you to give up some things that are probably strongly held. And, and you know, the freedom that you want to experience in Christ is Partly his task and partly your response. And unless you're prepared to give up some things, you won't experience the sort of freedom that God wants you to know. Do you know, I'll say something controversial and I I don't mean to offend and it's, it's not the whole story, but do you know, false or misplaced expectations resulted in the death of Jesus. False or misplaced expectations resulted in the death of Jesus. Now, I know, you know, it was prophetically forecast. I know it was God's plan and purpose and all that sort of stuff. But you know what brought it about was the false or misplaced expectation of the Pharisees who were looking for a Messiah and they didn't see the Messiah in Jesus, so they killed him. We understand that, I think, don't we? But just remember, you know, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the religious rulers of the day, the Sadducees, they're all looking for a Messiah. It could have been the suffering Messiah, it could have been the exultant or the champion Messiah, someone who's going to come and destroy the Roman government and take back possession of their land and return it to the golden era. Either way, they were taught their whole life was devoted toward looking toward this Messiah. It wasn't, it wasn't just a momentary thing as, as we might think of it. it. It was everything about their life was focused on this outcome. It was an expectation that they had. They, they learned from the Old Testament scriptures as we know them, but they also learned from the, the commentators, the commentaries, the rabbis who, who would interpret. And what they had in their mind was a picture of what the Messiah was going to be like, what he was going to do and how he was going to do it. It was all clear to them uh, uh, how it should work. And what happened with Jesus was he didn't fit their expectations. So what did they do? They killed him. As simple as that. He didn't fulfill their expectations as the Messiah, 
So they had him killed. I want to read to you some passages of Scripture that outline some of what I just said. Luke 3 verse 15 says this. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. We understand that. And so, but it says something about the expectation, doesn't it? Matthew 11, 1 to 3 says this, after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? And so we know that initially people were saying perhaps John the Baptist is the Messiah. It says something about their expectation. He made it clear that he wasn't the Messiah, but he himself wasn't sure either. Remember, Jesus was John's cousin. And then John is now imprisoned and he's hearing more and more stories and he's thinking, it looks like, it sounds like that Jesus could be the Messiah. So he, he asks his followers to go and ask the question. Luke 23 and verse 35 says the people stood watching and even the rulers sneered at him. They said he saved others, let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. And so their expectations had got to a point where they were beginning to taunt Jesus. If he is the Messiah, we thought he might have been. If he is the Messiah, let him prove it to us now. It's sort of like it's all on him. It's no longer on us. John 7, 25 to 27 says this. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly and they're not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. And so again, a a similar scenario, people are not sure they know this talk about Jesus possibly being the Messiah. But the problem was this, the people in charge had an expectation of the Messiah that Jesus didn't fit. And so there's this debate going on backwards and forwards. And the the reason Jesus didn't fit their expectations was because they had a fixed mindset. Their education, their past history, their interpretation of the Old Testament scriptures fixed their mind in a particular way and they refused for their minds to be changed. As a matter of fact, if we read some more verses of Scripture, you'll see that Jesus tried to change their mind. Luke 24 and verse 45 to 47 says this, Then he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures, which indicates their minds were previously closed. He told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And Jesus is trying to teach these people, he's trying to change their mindset so that they could receive him as the Messiah, you know, understanding what that would mean for them personally, individually. But they refused to change their expectation of him. John 7 and verse 31 says this, Still many in the crowd believed in him. They said, when the Messiah comes, 
Will he perform more signs than this man? In other words, Jesus has performed sign and wonder, miracle over and over and over again. How could the Messiah possibly do more than this man has already done? He must be the Messiah is what they're thinking, what they're feeling. John 10, 24 says this. The Jews who were there gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you were the Messiah, tell us plainly. And so the reason I'm reading so many passages of Scripture, and there are many, 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 many more that we could read. You, you, you know, this is all about Jesus and whether or not he fit the expectations of the people. And the reality was their expectation was based on their education, on what they thought they knew. And, and Jesus is trying to help them make the shift or make the move to a place where, where he could actually possibly be received as the Messiah. And he used the scriptures to explain it to them. John 12, 34 says this, the crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? And that summed up, you know, so many people in Jesus' time rejected him as the Messiah, despite the fact that he tried to teach them, despite the fact that he tried to open their minds, despite the fact that he tried to adjust their expectations. He, he wanted them to know who he was. But their expectations were fixed. Their mindsets were fixed. Some points to consider about the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They had fixed their minds to the point where they became unteachable. As I go through some of these things, ask yourself if you've ever found yourself in the same position. They rejected Jesus because he didn't meet their expectations. Their expectations were either ill-informed or false. Despite the fact that they knew so much. And they missed out on what Jesus was offering, which was ultimately freedom. And all of this simply because they had an expectation that was unrealized. Because Jesus didn't meet their expectation, they killed him. Do you understand how your false or misplaced expectations does damage to the people around about you? Oh, of course, we go to a mechanic and we want the mechanic. We expect the mechanic to fix our car, don't we? That's why we pay them. It's a reasonable expectation, but when they fail to meet our expectations, what do we tell our friends, our neighbours and our relatives about that mechanic? We attempt to destroy their business because they couldn't fix our car like we expected them to, don't we? That's not good. But what's worse is when we do it to individual people. And often we create an expectation ourselves, which is fixed on a person who may never have committed to fulfilling that expectation. You know, I think of Sheridan, I want, what I'm saying today is you need to lower your expectations of this guy. <laughs> you know, I've said to our church, I said, I'm not the pastor you expect me to be. And I never will be. My gifts and talents or skills or whatever, they lie in an area different to what you may expect. You should receive what I offer and not expect me to be something you need me to be. 
Fixed mindsets make us unteachable. And when we fix our mind on a particular expectation and refuse for it to be changed, then what we do is we destroy the person or the thing that no longer fulfills our expectation. Lots of people change jobs. I'm not saying you shouldn't change jobs, but sometimes people are changing jobs because their boss or the the career that they'd expected no longer fulfills their expectations. Do, Do you know if you change your expectations, maybe you could stay. Expectations overlaid on another person lead to disappointment, distress, undemands. Do you know, an expectation might start out really nice, but if it's unfulfilled, we normally up the ante, don't we? I expect when I go to McDonald's to get a good meal. Is that right? Is that a false expectation? But when you go to a, a nice restaurant, you expect it, don't you? As a matter of fact, your expectation is so high that you become demanding. Some of you, when you get the meal that you ordered and you paid 40 or $50 for it and it's not meeting your expectations, you demand that it be changed. Is that right? <laughs> My wife does that. I go to the bathroom and stay there as long as I can to avoid confrontation with her or the waiter or whoever else comes. But, but if they don't accede to your demand, what do you do? You begin to extort. Either you give me what I want or I won't pay for it. And, and, and you know, again, you know, when it's a product or a thing, we, we somehow justify it. We, we usually compromise our values in the process, but we somehow justify it. But what I'm talking about today is your expectation of the people around about you and how illegitimate it is for you to demand something of someone that they've never promised to give you. And even if they have promised to give it to you, do you know we're all failing human beings. We're all imperfect. We all all muck up. And and too often we create a demand or an expectation or an extortion of somebody And in the process, the person that gets destroyed is both them and us. And we talk about freedom in Christ. The way you gain freedom is to decrease the demand you place on somebody else so that you can receive what it is that they have to offer. Do you know when a child draws something? I'm not talking about a child, you know, that's uh, 20 or 30. But when a child, two or three, draws a picture of a house... You would, of course, never buy the house because it's all wonky and crooked. And... But when a child draws a picture of a house, what do you do? Are you stupid child? Why did you draw it like that? It's, that wall's not even straight. And you don't do that, do you? What you do is you receive what they offer. You offer words of encouragement. You, you, you celebrate the advance that they've made. What you do, if I can put it this way, is you receive what they're offering rather than expecting something they're unable to give. What if we all simply received what everyone else had to offer rather than demanding something they're unable to give? And when they do somehow do something extraordinary, we can celebrate all the more. 
Do you know, our mindsets are too often based on our pride. Our mindsets become fixed because of our pride. The Pharisees wouldn't change because of their pride, their pride and their knowledge of the Scriptures, their pride and their, in the relationship they had with the rabbi who, who commentated on the Scriptures, who interpreted the Scriptures. It was their pride that stood in the way, and that's why they had such a demand. It's your pride that demands a change to a meal that you... What, what I, I pay, It's my money, I paid your expectation is usually linked to your need and your need is often created as a result of your uh, pride or the thing that you think you deserve. And yet we deal with the people around us all of the time in these terms. And, and I just want to say, if I can go back to the start of the message and say, you know, you need to give it up. You need to give up your expectations and start receiving all that people have to offer rather than demanding something that they have not promised to give. Your expectations move towards a place of slavery, not freedom. Do you know, if I was to, and I could today, bring my wife up and do an assessment of her as a wife, sad to say there'd be areas where she hasn't met my expectations. I just wouldn't let her do the same to me because the same might also be true. There's a Bible verse that says love covers over a multitude of sin. And, you know, sin is such a broad and various term. And, you know, ultimately my expectations are less important than my passion for my wife. There are some things I expect to happen like prescriptions getting lost and things like this is a private joke but but ultimately it makes no difference to my reception of her and I receive all that she has to offer there are people all around you in your workplace in your neighborhood and they might not fit your idea of the ideal person but if you simply receive what they have to offer then your world will be richer as a result and you will find freedom You know, expectations unfulfilled lead to broken relationships. And the sad thing is this, in the Christian world, there are so many broken relationships. I'm talking about between friends. And it's usually because, oh, I thought they were my best friend. Why wouldn't they stick up for me against that person? Paul said, why not rather be wronged? Why not, why not rather that you be wronged so that right can continue. You see, when we get disappointed, when we get upset, when we get annoyed, we build a demand, we begin to extort, and we usually compromise our values. And ultimately, Jesus summed it up this way. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. As a matter of fact, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, all your strength and love. And he said, the same is equal. It's not, it's second in order, but it's not second in priority. The second is equal 
love your neighbor as yourself. And, and, and you know, the greatest barrier to love is expectation because expect, expectation carries with it the thought of demand and the thought of a bar being reached that most of the time we're unable to reach. Imagine if we simply received what people offered rather than demanding something from them. Imagine if we love freely without any expectation of any return. Imagine if the grace we ourselves have received was offered to those around about us. We need to give up creating expectation. Today I know, you know, as a parent, you have expectation of your kids. You've got to work out which ones are reasonable and which ones are divisive. Which ones are good for them and which ones are crushing them. In the workplace, you've got to work out, you know, the male or female who's leading you in your workplace, maybe your expectation of them is too high because they're a failing human being just like you are. I didn't say this before, I'll say it this time though, and I say it gently and carefully, you know, through COVID, there's been a lot of people who had an expectation of the church and God who have given up. They've not given up their expectation, they've given up as a result of their expectation. They've given up on God as a result of their expectation. Do you, do you know we pray for signs and wonders and miracles and, and we believe in faith? But when it moves from that to a demand or an extortion, what it does is it causes damage to us. God is sovereign. And we ask him, understanding his sovereignty, believing in faith, but never demanding. Never moving to a place where either you do this or I, I'm out of here. And yet, sadly, what's happened in the church in the West over the last couple of years is there's, there's been some of that happening. No, 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 give up your expectation. We are the church. You and I, we are the church. Let me sum up by saying this. We need to give up on focusing on our needs. We need to focus on the needs of others around about us. So the Pharisees, Jesus didn't meet their expectations, so they killed him. Let's learn a lesson from that and not do the same to those around about us. Today I want to challenge you, if you haven't already been challenged, Go home, write a list. Think about your approach to life. You want freedom in Christ. The, the, the way you get freedom is by removing some of the expectation you've had that is misplaced or, or, or false or ill-informed. You know, from time to time, we have new people come into the church and we have no expectation other than they're made to feel welcome. That's all we want them to do. We don't want them to do or to be anything. We, they can come freely and we simply want to show them the love of Christ. When people come to our house. We don't expect them to do anything. We expect them to come and to be themselves authentically just as they are. And ultimately, that's what I want for you as well. If there's one final area, it's this. What are you expecting of yourself? And is it time to remove some of that expectation? 
because you've got your own internal world going and there's this cycle internally where you're speaking to yourself about yourself and you're expecting something of yourself that you've never been able to deliver on and yet you're destroying yourself because you keep thinking of it. Jesus loves us all just as we are. Just imagine if we could do that for each other.